Hello, everyone, and welcome to Close Readings. I'm your host, Kamran Javadizade, and I am very happy today to be talking to Margaret Rhonda um, about a poem by Walt Whitman called This Compost. This is a this is a strange and wild kind of poem. I, I, I was really excited when Margaret proposed it for the conversation. We'll, we'll get to that and we'll get to Walt Whitman in a minute. Of course, I can remind you um, that for those who want to be looking at a text of the poem, you can find a link to that in the episode notes. Um, Margaret Rhonda, as uh, I'm sure many of you know, is an associate professor of English at the University of California, Davis. Um, where she specializes in American poetry from the 19th century to the present. And she's the author of uh, one critical book, which is a fantastic book called Remainders, American Poetry at Nature's End. Um, it was published by Stanford University Press in the Post 45 series that they um, that they run in, in 2018. Um, and I was thinking of what to say about this book and... Um, and you know, looking at it and and so forth, and then I I thought, oh, you know, there's there's a previous guest on this podcast, Oren Eisenberg, who already said a beautiful thing about it. That is is how, what you know. The first thing I want to say is is to quote Oren on Margaret's book. He writes this: "Remainders shows us how the very things that make poetry untimely, bearing old forms into the present, making present the discarded or lost." investing in barely conceivable futures can make it the timeliest of arts best attuned to the ecological calamity of our era. Um, I'll say a word more about Margaret's um, writing and what I admire so much about it in just a moment, but let me tell you that you can find her writing in addition to um, finding it in that, in that monograph in the book Remainders, you can find her academic essays in places like American Literary History, Genre, and PMLA, many other places besides. I should say um, that her essay in PMLA um, won the William Riley Parker Prize, which is the, the you know prize given annually to the outstanding article published in PMLA. It's a really um, prestigious award, and, and Margaret um, was was one of its winners. Um, you can also find her writing in places like Post 45 Contemporaries, the uh, Los Angeles Review of Books, Public Books, Jacket 2. Um, Margaret is one of several guests we've had on this podcast who is not only a scholar and a critic, but also herself a poet. She's published two books of poetry. Um, the, the more recent of the two is called For Hunger, which was published in 2018. And her first book of poems is called Personification published in 2010, both of them by Saturnalia Books. Um, and I think you'll hear in um, the, the kind of conversation we have today that um, Margaret brings both um, uh, of these writerly stances, the stance of the, of the critic and scholar and the stance of the poet to bear on any engagement with poetry. It's part of what I find most exciting about her work. Um, she is someone who is interested um, often, though, though not always. Certainly, I wouldn't say this defines her work, but it's been an important through line in it in um, fields we might call eco-poetics or eco-criticism. Um, maybe we can talk about what distinction we might want to locate between those two terms. Um, uh, 
she, as you could probably tell from the title of the book and the um, the sentence I quoted from Oren's um, writing about the book, that this is a book about ecological calamity, about the ecological calamity that we all have been living through um, wherever we are on this planet and however old we are on this planet, that, that is true. Um, and it's it's about poetry as a as a site or as a mode or as a way of being in relation to that ecological calamity um, across the period that Margaret um, calls the Great Acceleration. Um, and her emphasis, you know, it, hers is, of course, not the only work that takes up that problem or that topic. Um, uh, part of what makes her work, I think, distinct and um, particularly worthy of our attention is that her emphasis isn't so much on poetry's capacities either for innocence, that is for um, suspending the knowledge of what's happening all around us, or for what we might take to be innocence's kind of counterpart, its easy counterpart, um, which is to say simply righteous outrage, though um, though I, I'm, I'm sure personally Margaret feels her fair share of righteous outrage. Um, often enough, but but rather her, her her book is focused on poetry's un, uncanny capacity. Now these are her words to give a sense of living on amidst accumulating planetary disruption. The way in which poetry is attuned to the ambivalence of what it's like to be alive as the world seems always to be ending. Um, that's a, um, a thing that, you know, it's this part of what I love so much about this work. It's, she's pointing out something about the way we live that because it's the way we live is very hard to see clearly. Um, and, and, um, she's finding it in a kind of writing where you might not think it would appear, but but where once you see it, 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 it seems really to be everywhere and to explain so much. Um, and so it's my great pleasure to have Margaret on the, on the podcast. Uh, Margaret joining us from Davis, California. How, how are you doing, Margaret? Uh, I'm very well, Cameron. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Um, and what a, what a gift that introduction was. Thank you so much um, to kind of hear once I'm thinking Um refracted back in um with such eloquence and grace thank you um sure and i'm so excited to talk about whitman with you today i'm excited to talk about whitman with you you know it's i don't know we made it 40 something episodes into this podcast run without walt whitman coming up um and i was saying to you before well you know i actually just very briefly as an aside it occurs to me that one one thing that might explain that is that by the nature of the sort of format of this podcast, it's it's much easier to choose a short poem. It's not as though Walt Whitman didn't write short poems, but the poems for which he's most well known tend to be really loose and baggy and long, right? So, um, absolutely. So this is yeah. to say, yeah, go. You 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 have a you have a thought about that. Well, I just, I was going to say too, I mean, this compost is so interesting as, as a kind of counter example, um, you know, as a, as a more contained, um, self-contained 
poem, um, there are others, absolutely, but um, but it, it kind of is unique in what it does and how the shape of it and how it how it moves. But also, um, I think maybe one of the reasons I would I, who knows, but potentially one of the reasons why Whitman hasn't come up is has to do with that word that you used, innocence. Um, and and there's that there's something often in his poems that might feel a little resistant to. Um, the kind of close reading that um, mm. that you do in this podcast, and the kind of um, inquiry into like paradox and contradiction or ambiguity, you know that that Whitman um, seems to be someone who, you know, has a has a framework for seeing the world, um, and there's a kind of sameness in many across many of his poems or across Leaves of Grass in terms of that register, right? So once yeah. one feels like once you've imbibed it and, and understand it, 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 maybe there's a limit in terms of what can be said about it. Now, I think this compass is so interesting because it pushes against some of those received ways of, of thinking about Whitman. But, um, yeah. but I do think that might be in that sort of um, innocence and, um, you know, sort of, willed naivete um of Whitman mm-hmm. is, is so much the note um in so that's, many of the poems. That's fascinating. You know, the the theory I was going to offer, which I I suspect is really just sort of describing something like the same set of qualities or the same phenomenon, but approaching it from a somewhat different angle, is um to say, you know, it makes just as much sense to me that that Whitman has not been on the podcast yet as it does that Dickinson was pretty early on. These are two poets who are often, you know, um, sort of reflexively or instinctively paired as like the two poets. Uh, I, I say this, please don't get mad at me, 19th century American Americanists, poetry scholars. Um, I know the 19th century is not reducible to those two figures, but in the you know literary imagination that we participate in, often it seems to be, and they are sort of offered as a kind of I don't know what mother and father of, of modern American poetry or something like that, right? Um, right. Queer as queer that construction <laughs> is <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and 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 so really what i'm saying is like you know i think you know we had um jenny jackson virginia jackson on the podcast so she would talk about lyricization as this sort of ongoing historical process that has um distilled a kind of more varied um range of poetic production into the kind of crystalline um unmediated um temporally suspended lyric that's so often a sort of forced onto or attributed to Dickinson and that Whitman doesn't participate in that tradition in the same way. And the length of his poems is one indication of that. The innocence or the kind of resistance to the hermeneutics of suspicion or something like that might be another as you, as you, um, as you're describing it, um, Margaret. And so, um, yeah, for all of these reasons, uh, he is, um, he might seem like a, an uncomfortable fit for this podcast format, which is why I'm so glad we're doing it and I'm interested in it. Um, but let me, let me just sort of back up for a moment and say, you know, I, I want to invite you to imagine, Margaret, you're addressing um, an, a, an undergraduate lecture or some kind of gen ed course where perhaps students have heard of Walt Whitman, but don't know very much about him. 
at all. Um, because surely that will be true for some some people in our audience here. And um, and I guess I'm just curious, like, is there some sort of sketch of the place he occupies beyond what you've already said, and you've said so much um, in the in the history of American poetry that that you could distill as a, as a as a kind of way of introduction, and and maybe by way of saying um, how this particular poem is and isn't of a piece with that portrait you have in mind of, of Walt Whitman. Yeah. Uh, I teach a course in Whitman and Dickinson, which is of course also a course that uh, um, allows us to ask these questions about the more various 19th century um, and poetry imaginaries and poetry archives and traditions of the 19th century forward. Um, But so one of the ways that I often try to frame Whitman um, for those students is to think about um, the ways in which Whitman, um, you know, it's come to be received as this um, kind of great poet uh, um, of expansion, a kind of um, a poet of imaginative expansion where the I um, comes to have stand the, the lyric eye or the, the subject, the, the, the speaker as first person um, subject comes to kind of represent or stand for um, all of America as a um, frontier nation, as a settler nation, as, um, as a kind of um, expanding economy, various um, with various populations. Um, and um, that, that, the that, the, that the, I kind of can encompass um, in in terms of the length of the line. Whitman's very long lines um, can kind of catalog and um, stand for and um, maybe appropriate or draw in all of these varieties. Um, so that the kind of the 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 um, impulse in a Whitman poem is to try to connect unity and variety. Um, through the figure of the eye or the figure of the kind of the, the first person speaker. Um, and what I want to always tell the students is that this is also um, a product of a long career in journalism uh, a, a, or a deeply oriented mind in relationship to American politics, um, that the kind of optimism, you know, and it is a very optimistic um, or innocent uh, poetry or has that kind of innocent uh, mm-hmm. optimistic stance that it comes out of uh, a real confrontation with um, and kind of pessimistic outlook on um, the real uh, nature of American politics. And then of course, it's a, um, it's a poem, Leaves of Grass is a long poem, begins, um, you know, in 1855 as one long uh, untitled poem. And then takes on multitudes, takes on many different editions and shapes over its mm. course. Um, and it becomes kind of a chronicle of um, the varieties of American politics from the antebellum period all the way up to 1881. Um, and so it both kind of contains the different um, kind of contradictions and various manifestations of American politics, including the Civil War, which is kind of at, at, at the poem's center, at Leaves of Grass's mm-hmm. center, um, but also um, tries to find ways to continue to think about um, the I, the, the speaker at the center um, of this kind of changing, dynamic um, uh, 
world that is American politics and American life, um, American population. And, you know, the war becomes a kind of means of thinking about contradiction and synthesis. Um, but at right. the eye kind of remains at the center. Um, and one of the things that's so interesting about this compost is that yeah. it's a poem that ultimately kind of decenters that first person, that kind of all-encompassing, aggrandizing, expansionist eye um, as it kind of, you know, leaves of grass moves through all these different contexts. But this compost kind of wants to say there's something that the eye, that the, that the, that the human self kind of can't account for, um, uh, can't uh-huh. internalize and that resists that kind of assimilation or that resists that kind of internalization. Um, and that's partly what's so fascinating about it. And I also think it's so fascinating as a way of thinking about the ecological motive um, in yeah. Whitman's poetry. Oh, great. I want to hear more about that in, in, in a moment, but, um, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking of the, the, what is the line from song of myself? Um, every atom belonging to me is good belongs to you, right? That, the, the kind of bravado of a, of a line like that as, um, as related in, in some ways at the level of image or um, thematic concern or something with some of what we'll be considering in this poem. But the attitude here feels very different to me, I think, as you say. So yeah. that's super yeah. interesting. I, 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 have a, I have a bunch of follow-up questions for you. Um, one, I've just been sort of wondering, I don't even know what my own answer to this question is. Perhaps it's, this is an unfair question to ask, but um, do, can you remember what, when it was that you first read Whitman? I read Whitman in high school, and um, I was really starting to think about um, myself as a poet and trying to find kind of orientations for, um, you know, thinking about technical matters like the line, but also maybe more uh, fundamentally for like, you know, what what occupies um the poet's mind, what occupies yeah. the poet's life? Um, what is that occupation? And it's got that great poem song for occupations, right? Like mm-hmm. what would that, what would that life look like? And of course he, um, he sort of resists. Um, it's funny. It's, it's such a, such a poetry of, um, you know, come along with me and we're all the same and um, you know, I, identification, but I, I remember resisting that identification. And often this is a response that, that students have too, um, at least initially um, in, in my experience is that they, you know, they, they, they want to put pressure for all the right reasons on, um, on, you know, who, who's saying this to me, you know, who, who, who wants to be my representative. Um, yes. And I remember feeling the same, you know, just um, yeah. a, a certain, a, a sort of, um, yeah, uh, almost like sensory resistance to um, to that call. Um, but over the years, you know, I think I've seen more and s- seen into um, the complexities of Whitman and um, yeah. and have come to find him quite irresistible, um, uh-huh. both for purposes of teaching and and just as someone who's good to think with. Um, in yeah. part because I think the contradictions and the the, the kind of dialectics of the work are so much more apparent to me now, um, the more I read him, the more I see that, um, you know, and the, the things that he's wrestling with in, in the poems and then the way he's sort of trying to uh, manage um, all of those contradictions. So, um, but I think when I was young, it seemed to me a little bit more, um, you know, I don't know, uh, um, 
like a aggressive, I guess would be yeah, the word. A provocation of some kind. Yeah. Uh, well, that that makes sense. That 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 sounds that sounds age appropriate. Um, I mean, I, I, I want to pull on another thread or two of of what you said. Um, you referred it a number of times to Whitman's innocence, um, and um, and also talked about how um, Leaves of Grass as a book or Song of Myself as a as a kind of lo- as a long poem within that book. Um, emerge from something you refer to, I think, as the as a sort of settler consciousness or as a, a kind of settler project. And I wonder, you know, we, we were talking about innocence in a kind of um, using that term in a somewhat different sense, but I think many listeners' ears might have perked up and have been thinking about what we today might refer to as a white innocence or as a kind of willful unknowing. And, um, and given the fact that Whitman is writing during a time of, um, um, you know, uh, during the time of the civil war, during a time in which, um, slavery is still present as an institution and then into the, um, into the period of reconstruction and so on. Um, I wonder if, if do, you, do when you use that word innocence, Margaret, is there also a kind of racial component to it that you'd want to comment on? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think that's at the center of his work and, um, and, and, you know, and his figure of the laborer, his figure of, um, you know, the, 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 the citizen, um, is entirely dependent on the production and reproduction of that kind of racial innocence. I will say that I think that, um, that's differently valenced, um, vis-a-vis indigenous peoples versus, um, uh, let's say, um, figures of, um, enslavement, um, black populations. I think, um, there's more consciousness in the work about, um, you know, the, the, the problem of slavery, the question of personhood and property, um, the question of freedom, um, that is, you know, that is being routed essentially through the question of slavery. Um, at the same time as I think the, the, the figure, the embodiment of what, uh, you know, liberty and freedom and free motion looks like, um, is absolutely raced white, um, throughout the work. Um, mm-hmm. his racial consciousness changes mm-hmm. over the course of the, the, his, his life and over the course of leaves of grass. Um, and it becomes more reactionary, more conservative. Um, you know, as we, as we move farther from the antebellum period and the early civil war. Um, so that's also something to track, but I would say that, that there's a, there's an almost complete occlusion of native American, um, figures, right. In a kind of meaningful way, it doesn't grapple right. with, um, what it means to be a settler, what it means to, um, to, to, th- to occupy a frontier. Um, you know, it's, it's totally in the language of, um, of, of progress. And, um, I think, you know, it comes most explicitly to the fore in Song of the Redwood Tree, which is uh, a poem that's just absolutely celebrating, um, the extermination and destruction of the natural world and also of, um, populations, native populations that have lived before, right. And continue to live on the land. So I think, um, you know, that, that, um, kind of imagination of innocence and newness and novelty, um, and freshness, uh, we'll talk about vis-a-vis this compost kind of more specifically 
psychological terms, there's also absolutely a kind of racialized component to that. It's always kind of working its way through, um, you know, invisibly or insidiously in, in the work. And it's part of, I think, what's so interesting to, to grapple with and, and troubling to grapple with in the poetry. Um, but, but again, it's not complete, it's, it's uneven occlusion, um, right, right? I think he is, he is interested in the, you know, the, the problem of personhood um, right. as a problem, right? Rather than, and the problem of the commodification of the body um, to different degrees and in different ways, um, particularly in the early versions of um, Leaves of Grass. So, um, so that's in there. It's just um, the solutions are troubling. Good. Well, I'm glad I asked the question. I had a feeling you'd have a, a, um, a compelling answer to it. And you've really started to draw out some of what is so um, complex and, you know, not not simply admirable in our own kind of innocent way about this poet, but interesting to think about and to think along with and in response to. Um, and um, and so thank you for that. Thank you for the generosity of that answer. Um I think we'd better turn to the poem. Um, and uh, Margaret, I want to um, invite you to begin this conversation by reading it aloud for our audience, whom I'll just remind one, one more time that um, they can find a text for the poem, a link to the text of the poem in the episode notes for those who would like to look at the poem as, as they listen to Margaret read. But Margaret, why don't you take it away? All right. This compost. One. Something startles me where I thought I was safest. I withdraw from the still woods I loved. I will not go now on the pastures to walk. I will not strip the clothes from my body to meet my lover, the sea. I will not touch my flesh to the earth as to other flesh to renew me. Oh, how can it be that the ground itself does not sicken? How can you be alive, you growths of spring? How can you furnish health, you blood of herbs, roots, orchards, grain? Are they not continually putting distempered corpses within you? Is not every continent worked over and over with sour dead? Where have you disposed of their carcasses, those drunkards and gluttons of so many generations? Where have you drawn off all the foul liquid and meat? I do not see any of it upon you today, or perhaps I am deceived. I will run a furrow with my plow. I will press my my spade through the sod and turn it up underneath. I am sure I shall expose some of the foul meat. Two, behold this compost, behold it well. Perhaps every mite has once formed part of a sick person. Yet behold, the grass of spring covers the prairies. The bean bursts noiselessly through the mold in the garden. The delicate spear of the onion pierces upward. The apple buds cluster together on the apple branches. The resurrection of the wheat appears with pale visage out of its graves. The tinge awakes over the willow tree and the mulberry tree. The he-birds carol mornings and evenings while the she-birds sit on their nests. The young of poultry break through the hatched eggs. The newborn of animals appear. The calf is dropped from the cow, the colt from the mare. 
Out of its little hill faithfully rise the potatoes' dark green leaves. Out of its hill rises the yellow maize stalk, the lilacs bloom in the dooryards. The summer growth is innocent and disdainful above all those strata of sour dead. What chemistry that the winds are not are really not infectious, that this is no cheat, this transparent green wash of the sea which is so amorous after me, that it is safe to allow it to lick my naked body all over with its tongues, that it will not endanger me with the fevers that have deposited themselves in it, that all is clean forever and forever, that the cool drink from the well tastes so good, that blackberries are so flavorous and juicy, that the fruits of the apple orchard and the orange orchard, that melons, grapes, peaches, plums, will none of them poison me, that when I recline on the grass, I do not catch any disease, though probably every spear of grass rises out of what, what was once a catching disease. Now I am terrified at the earth. It is that calm and patient. It grows such sweet things out of such corruptions. It turns harmless and stainless on its axis with such endless successions of diseased corpses. It distills such exquisite winds out of such infused fetter. It renews with such unwitting looks its prodigal annual sumptuous crops. It gives such divine materials to men and accepts such leavings from them at last. That was terrific. Um, Margaret Rhonda reading This Compost by Walt Whitman. Um, Margaret, uh, especially with a poem like this, that's a little bit, um, I mean, even though this is, uh, it's funny, I don't want to, <laughs> I feel like all I'm doing is talking about, well, there are short poems and long poems and slightly longer ones. And slightly, you know, anyway, this is a bit, you know, um, a, a bit much to keep in one's mind all at once. So I, I, I like with a poem like this, just before we dive in to think a little bit about sort of how it sits on the page or how you kind of conceptualize its organization. So I notice, you know, as of course, many other listeners must be right now that the poem seem, is divided into two numbered parts. Um, could you say a little bit just from a kind of 30,000 foot view or something about sort of how you conceive of this poem's structure or something, or like its division into movements or parts, or or is there some sort of, um, you know, thumbnail version of what part one's relation to part two seems to be or something like that, that yeah. could help get us oriented? Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, so I think, um, you know, the poem begins with, startlement um, and a kind of um, a, a sudden distance from what had seemed to be familiar. And the first section is a kind of inquiry into um, this, this response or this sense of um, defamiliarization, we could say, right? The, um, and, and sort of mystification uh, about an earth and a, um, an environment, a surrounding that had seemed familiar, and um, and and so the first section is um, it's asking these questions, this sort of sustained questions, um, and so the first half or this first section, um, you know, it's full of, of inquiry, it's full of questions, um, and it's it's um, and and full of tumult and disquiet um, and 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 um, uncertainty, and then 
and we can talk more about sort of what constitutes that, but just in terms of the, the sort of, um, the, the features, um, the mm-hmm. kind of thinking of the first section. Then the second section um, moves into a kind of observation, right? Or an answer maybe to the questions of the first section. Um, so to, to sort of return the gaze um, more closely to what had been sort of recoil in the first section and, um, and that sort of defamiliarization and, and maybe fear of the first section. Um, so the second section, there aren't any questions. It's all catalogs. So it's all kind of returning to attention, returning to perception, um, returning to a kind of list of um, the various features of um, what is around. And so kind of familiariz- familiarization or refamiliarizing um at the same time, the end of the poem um, moves into the last section or the last um, mm. stanza of, of the poem moves into something different completely, um, which is when we say some kind of synthesis of the two um, and um, doesn't quite allow the poem to resolve on a note of total familiarization or um, domestication of that initial mm. feeling. Right or resolution, of it. Um, and instead remain it kind of retains this sense of terror and sublimity um, and the kind uh-huh. of unknowing feeling that the beginning of the poem um, initiated. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, that's that, that's that's terrific. Um, that's uh, really useful. I was taking notes. That map that well, I th- that you've just given us of the poem, I think will will help sort of guide us and orient us as we go. Um, so I was asking you about the poem at the absolute largest scale. And now I'm asking, going to ask you a question that is at the most minute possible scale. So the poem's title is this compost. And I'm curious about the word this for you, (laughs) like, you know, what, what that feels kind of unusual to me, um, as as a gesture for the, for a title or, um, so I don't know. Talk about it, Margaret. Oh, um, so this is pointing to yeah. something. So, how how does that get you situated or unsituated or something? I love that question. It's such a great question because, in some ways, like it points to the problem of the poem, right? Like um, that the this is both everywhere and invisible, right? So the the this of this compost is, um, you know, is mm-hmm. is it's, it's directing us, it's directing our attention, but what the poem is ultimately meditating on is precisely what is happening. Always. It's a, a, a process, a biological process mm. <laughs> that it, that is nonetheless not directly visible to our perception. Right. So that, it, that in some ways has to become a kind of imaginative uh, transaction. Um, and so that the, this um, right. So, cause in some ways, when we read the title, we want to move right to compost, right? Which turns it into matter. It turns it into the concrete. Um, But in fact, this is precisely what retains that sense of of otherness or the question, the mystery of the poem, because where can you find it? Where do you see it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in some ways, it's this kind of internal... um, kind of disquiet or this internal, uh, inquiry, right. Um, Mm -hmm. why can't I see, um, the, the 
consequences or the kind of manifestations of this process. Like, you know, what has happened to, um, or what is happening all the time to, um, to in death, to death, um, through death, to life emerging again, right? Um, how is it possible that um, death can lead to life, right? Um, and so that this, in a way, becomes the means by which right from the very beginning, from the very first word, um, that uh, kind of metaphysical inquiry, but also this like very material inquiry is being transacted. Um, so thank you. I had not even thought <laughs> to draw my attention to that, but I think it's all there in this. That's why it's nice to put heads together because you've said so much that I hadn't thought of, but it's the, a testament to the power of conversation maybe. Um, but let me, let me make sure I'm getting the idea right because, you know, I just want to kind of reflect some of it back to you and, and hear if I'm on the right track. You know, we see the title and naturally, I mean, I did this too. I think, um, you think, oh, there's a poem about compost. That's interesting. And, you know, compost is a thing that has its own kind of cultural history and that is meaningful maybe to us in the sort of early part of the 21st century in a way that it, you know, would have been differently, I presume, you know, in the 19th century, what have you. Um, any, any, um, and then I try to imagine a, you know, so what would the title be like if it were um, compost just on its own or um, the compost or something? Um or then I think, you know, try to imagine a totally different poem, which were something like this flower or this tree or something like yeah. that. I think what I'm yeah. hearing you say is there's something in the nature of compost itself that resists the kind of um, innate impulse we seem to have to want to point at and locate and indicate a particular thing. Yeah. Because compost yeah. is, in a sense, invisible and not a thing, but a, a, a kind of happening or a process or something like that. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. it, can't, it yeah. can't be indicated in, in quite yeah. that way. And, yeah. that, and that tension is sort of what the poem is about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's there in this kind of impossible pointing of, of this, right? And, um, and at, at the same time, even in compost itself, um, there's a sense of, um, a, a material that is it's itself in process, right. That itself mm -hmm. is on the way from one state to another state. Um, and that kind of to look at it is to look at transformation in process, right. Um, that compost is, is a kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's an, an enacting, um, or it's a processual sort of motion rather than a stable, um, entity, which of course then underscores that this is the case for all of matter and all of life. And that it is all, um, it's it, vital. it would be true of the tree or the flower or whatever as well. It's just not as evidently true or something it doesn't it doesn't um yeah. signify that in the same way right and i right. should say too um this is maybe jumping ahead but i'll just say that you know that this that um i think compost for us now as you said signifies you know it signifies soil and you know it signifies a certain kind of organic mm -hmm. process um that we maybe actively undertake um and that for whitman it would be more specifically signifying um dead 
bodies and corpses. Um, and that's sort of more specifically what this poem is about, though it is also more broadly about soil and more broadly about um, processes of transformation and renewal and decay, um, you know, but that, that the meaning of compost for him is actually kind of specifically um, yeah. dead bodies. So, um, you know, that's a, it's an interesting kind of defamiliarization that we have to make ourselves as contemporary readers um, to kind of think from the right. very beginning, compost is going to signify um, the, the decay of human corpses. Yeah. He's not, we're not talking about taking one's coffee grounds out to the bin where you've got your kale trimmings and so on exactly, going as well. Exactly. It's okay. much more. And I underscore that just to say, you know, that this is a really, um, you know, it's a poem that wants to, f- uh, foreground that disgust and that sort of horror, right. It really wants to ask us to look at it. And even in the poem that's, or in the poem's title, that's there. Right. Uh, and so, and, and so these, these corpses aren't just corpses, but they seem they're diseased corpses and so on. And, right, and that's part right. of the mystery of the poem. Good. Um, okay. So th- I love the first line. Something startles me where I thought I was safest. Um, talk about that as just an, as a kind of opening line. What's, what's, what's catching your attention about that? Margaret, I promise yeah. we'll go faster. We won't go line by line. Quite <laughs> no, no, it's so good. Like so, first lines are really important. Yeah, the first line is so it's so essential. Yeah, something startles me where I thought I was safest. Um, so um, that mystery again underscored in that first word something like what um, and and that sense of you know Whitman who's so interested in naming um, and. And specifying, you know, um, wants to always put, um, you know, a noun to mm. what he's imagined, right? He wants to, he wants to concretize uh, something startles me. And um, so that sense of the kind of unsettling um, beginning of the poem, um, also about not being able to name what um, the thing is that is unsettling you, right? And then, of course, when, where I thought I was safest um, underscores the theme of the poem um, about sort of risk and bodily um, safety or fragility. Um, You know, this is a poem about one's own mortality. Um, This is a poem about feeling sort of safe in one's own um, or stable in one's own, you know, locale, right. Environment, but also in one's own body. Right. And so, um, this is kind of disorientation that's not just about the outer, about the earth, about um, the kind of conditions of life, um, but also about what that means for one's own body and one's own health and one's own sort of safety, right? So um, we see it's a poem that's about, uh, that's existential in some way, um, and that safety um, and comfort or stability is precisely what's going to be undermined um, as the poem goes forward, right? And that it's going to have to negotiate that. Those those words all seem related to me to the word we were um, putting so much pressure on earlier that you introduced, which is innocence, namely, that is, um, right, a kind of another way of imagining a condition of safety or of comfort or of stability, right? Yes, yes, yes. 
I was safe. I was safe here. I was sort of, I was protected from a certain mm-hmm. kind of awareness um, of right. what's actually happening. Right. And the poem was going to sort of rend that veil in a way. Right. But, um, right. but from the beginning of the poem there, you know, there isn't a sense, you know, here's, here's what I've, what I know here's, right. um, here's how I know that this works. And even, you know, by the end of the poem, there's not much more clarity about yeah. what something is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of that, of the, you know, that the famous frost line, um, something there is that doesn't love a wall, you know, that same kind of undermining, but vague kind of sense of, um, of um, the thing you kind of take for granted as being literally unsettled or something. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. So then we um, get we get this um, string of um, I'm just looking at the poem's first stanza, um, which is you know that first line, and then there are four lines consecutively after that that all begin in what I take to be a kind of characteristically kind of Whitmanic mode with the first person pronoun I, I, I. Um, but though I notice that. What fo- so so that for people who aren't familiar with, I'm putting on my teacher hat for a moment. It's like anaphora, or there's a kind of anaphoric rhythm to Whitman, and we'll get it throughout this poem. So a, re- a repetition of an initial element. Um, interestingly, in this case, I'm I'm noticing, and then I and this is my question to you: like, what do you make of this? That all of those eyes kind of introduce not positive assertions, but sort of negations of of yeah. a kind, right? So. Yeah. So what do you, what, what do you make? Is there a tension in that or what's, what's interesting to you about that, Margaret? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, it's, it's such an important inversion of what we think of as the kind of characteristic Whitmanian, um, assertion, right? I sing myself and celebrate myself, right? Yeah, I will, right. I, I, um, you know, I contain multitudes, right? Like I, I'm able to, um, move and see and act and name, right? It's all framed in as a kind of positive, uh, like mm-hmm. unfettered m- motion. Um, and the catalogs, um, often ones that begin with the first person pronoun, though not always, but they they enact um, this sense of of um, kind of fr- freedom, right? And so here we have instead that the inversion of that negation. I won't. I will not go now on the pastures to walk. I will not strip the clothes from my body. And also this, so, so this um, holding back of, um, or like refusal or tentativeness um, in doing the the things that his poems do all the time, right? They they always are going, stripping the clothes off body, you know, <laughs> to meet my love or the seat, right? And I loaf and lean and all that stuff. Yeah, love, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and this, so this poem is saying, I, you know, I, I I can't do that now, right? Um, I've seen something, I've noticed something, something's become, um, I've become aware of something that um, something startled me that has made it so that that this natural action um, is no longer accessible to me. And and just to underscore um, the kind of the the, the tenor of the um, descriptions is all, you know, it's it's we say erotic or amorous, um, 
not necessarily like directly sexually charged, though we do have the love or the sea, but it's, um, but it always, you know, we're often in Whitman's catalogs, there's this sense of, um, you know, touching attachment, um, Mm -hmm. charged connection. And this is what is this kind of embrace or, um, union is no longer, um, what he feels he's able to undertake, right? He right. has to, he has to, um, step back or negate that kind of right. action. Um, right. I mean, so often when I think of those kinds of moments elsewhere in our, in his poetry, those moments of kind of erotic touching, let's say of some kind in those, it, it, they tend to be kind of, um, triangulated or displaced or something, you know, like I'm thinking of the 26 bathers moment and where there's a kind of, I mean, it's very erotically charged scene in um, song of myself, but there's a, there's a, an unseen sort of invisible voyeur that enables that to transpire, or there's a kind of um, displacement from one body to an to another but here not even that seems to be permitted or even that is kind of shrunk back from right 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 absolutely and and i think um one way of thinking about why this is the case or what what's happening is you know if we move into the next stanza where it's about um sort of the um the the other, um, or the, the, um, whether it's the ground or, um, uh, the, the tree or another person in Whitman's, um, catalogs often are there. It's portrayed as a kind of mirror of the self. Right. Um, so again, that sense of, you know, the, the I and the you are fundamentally alike. Like there's this fundamental sameness, um, or, you know, kind of d- deep abiding homogeneity, um, you know, amidst all of our sort of, you know, diverse attributes and, you know, kind of material capacities. It's um, ultimately we share a kind of sameness of vital energy, sameness of, um, you know, kind of internal essentials. Um, and here um, in the second stanza, you know, the, the ground um, suddenly seems potentially a source of, um, you know, of, of sickness, of disease. Um, suddenly the eye doesn't get mirrored by, or doesn't mirror the mm. you that is the ground, right? The kind of the addressee that is the earth. Um, and it becomes this question, you know, are you, are you diseased? Um, you know, are, how can you be alive? You growths of, growths of spring. So there's right. a sense you know, I don't, I, I actually don't know what I'm looking at when I'm looking at you, earth or you soil. Um, you know, it's, it's this sort of, um, misalignment, whereas right. in poems, there's often the sense of, you know, I see you because you are a reflection of me, um, and vice versa, right. That there's a kind of that, that, um, that intimacy, even across distance, as you say, or mediated, right. um, in various ways. He can feel the license to touch because it's just himself he's touching or something elsewhere. But, (laughs) but here not so. Yeah. So, so yeah, that I like, that's where these, um, you said that the, um, I mean, earlier you said that the first section of the poem, the first 
numbered section of the poem is full of questions. And it's in that second stanza that those questions, one after the other, begin to unfold. Um, I'm noticing now, as I just look at the poem on um, the page in front of me, that right that second stanza is five lines. Again, it um, each one of those lines is end-stopped. Each one of those lines ends with a question mark. Um, I, I'll take that as a as a good good a, an occasion as any to ask you a question that perhaps in this sense this poem is typical for all of the other differences that we've identified with other Whitman poems, but perhaps atypical of other poems that have been featured on this podcast and other kinds of poetic modes in, in which, I mean, I think, sorry, this is just a question about like what the line means to Whitman and why it is that he feels so attached to aligning the grammatical or syntactical unit of articulation with the the line ending and with the the structure of verse you know i i as i as i try to convince students what you know what's interesting about line breaks i say well you know one thing that distinguishes poetry from other kinds of verbal art is that there are two systems organizing the language into units there's there are all of the ordinary rules of grammar and syntax and then there's this other one, which is line endings. And sometimes they come together and sometimes they don't. And it's interesting to see the ways in which they don't. For Whitman, they really seem to kind of relentlessly. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but they seem to. And I and so I, I wonder what that, you know, either taking this particular stanza as an example of it or thinking more broadly about Whitman, what that sort of indicates to you about the way his imagination works or what he thinks a poem is doing that's different from what, you know, another poet, I won't say Dickinson, but pick your poem. <laughs> thinks yeah, yeah. Poem is doing. yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Um, well, I, one thing that is clear when you read um, widely in Whitman and certainly when you read the preface um, to 1855 Leaves of Grass is that you know, he's thinking about poetry in relationship to other kinds of founding documents. So he's thinking about poetry actually on the analogy of like the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, like as, um, you know, as a, as a kind of language that can enact um, uh, a kind of, um, new sense of union cannot just reflect or describe, but actually make happen a kind of new um, compact, we can say. And in, and in some ways, I think he imagines Leaves of Grass to be the kind of aesthetic counterpart to, or maybe a, um, a, a kind mm -hmm. of compensatory document um, that can reveal to the citizens, um, what these other documents maybe promised, but didn't fully deliver. Mm -hmm. um, so I think of the line then for Whitman as, um, in some ways, a kind of enactment of that, um, that sense of, um, a kind of argument in 
verse um, that is also a kind of transaction in the world, um, making something happen, a kind of speech act. Um, and so he's not interested in thinking about poetry, you know, as a, a means of holding kind of com- complexity or multiple meanings, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a very figurative thinker. Right. Um, he's actually thinking more um, about language as a kind of literal instrument. Um, and mm. so I think the line as a kind of unit, um, not to be broken, right. Not to be divided um, is part of a, a thinking about politics is a part of thinking about right. the body is a part of thinking about, you know, wholeness kind of at different levels. Um, but it's also a kind of enactment of an idea on the page and kind of beyond it. Um, so to, to think about, you know, enjambment would in a way be a kind of like vi- sacred violation of. Why would I uh, do that? <laughs> you would ask. Right? <laughs> this kind of political commitment, right? Um, right. Yeah. There's something sort of declamatory about the, uh, about the line. Yes. Yeah. Even though in this case, you know, they're, they're, they are full of questions. Um, um, even those questions are sort of offered in the spirit of um, declarations of a kind. That's right. Um, right. Um, you know, it, it, you, you, you suggested to us that the, the first half of the poem is full of questions. And, and one way to think about the second half of the poem's relation to the first half was, well, as a kind of answer. But, but it also seems to me as we read those questions, which... You know, when you ask a question, if I were to ask you a question and then before you could answer, I were to ask another one and another one and another one. At some point, you might think like, well, you're not interested in an answer. These are rhetorical questions. Um, and and these questions seem to be a little bit like that. I guess I wonder, um, before we get to the second half of the poem, what you think. Is there a, uh, um, you know, we got all those eyes. I statements in the, the those withdrawing statements in the first stanza. The second stanza asks these questions. Does the third stanza turn the screw one more time? I mean, is there a kind of progression of the argumentative arc of the poem there that we should note? And is there any moment that you would want to point to that really illustrates that? Yeah. So um, one thing to point to is the, um, the, ratcheting up of the kind of gruesome macabre language, right? We get the distempered corpses in the second stanza, but in the third stanza, we have carcasses, um, you know, we have foul liquid in meat. Um, foul meat is uh, repeated in the last line. So um, there's really this insistence on um, the kind of disgusting materiality of the body of the, the decaying dead body. Right. So, um, so I think, you know, one of the things that the poem does, and I hope we can talk more, maybe now is the time to start to think about it, but you know, it's this sort of like, um, almost like a parody of, of elegy in a way, right? Like it's, um, you know, so instead of thinking about the kind of, um, inviolate beauty, you know, and sort of sacredness of the dead, right. right. Um, which Whitman absolutely, you know, um, is interested in other parts of his poetry. Um, you know, there's a, a strong elegiac strand sure. um, that runs through his, his, his poems, but here, um, there's just nothing, um, you know, celebratory, redemptive, um, there's no note of mourning, right? It's just 
your your foul meat, right? That's what you've become. Um, and, you know, truly dehumanizing, um, right? Like reducing the human to this kind of like foul matter. Uh, so that's yeah. one thing that I think we, we want to note is, you know, kind of what happens to um, or what happens to death, how death emerges um, yeah. in, in, in this stanza um, as a way of thinking um, not about, um, you know, kind of regeneration or meaning or, and it's like a kind of like profoundly um, anti-humanist uh, right. rendering of death, right? Um, which, you know, in some ways sweeps away whatever, whatever you'd been, you'll end up at, you know, he's specifically talking about drunkards and gluttons, but, um, but I think there's a sense, you know, mm-hmm. this, this is all of our, our fate. Um, we are all so that's some sense drunkards or gluttons. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I like, I like what, I, I like what you say. Uh, um, and that's, um, I, I mean, it, it was, suddenly illuminating to me to think of this as a kind of refusal of or an overturning of a kind of elegiac convention. Um, right. And it's not, where have you disposed of, I mean, even that language would be strange, but of these people, but of their carcasses, right? So dehumanizing in that sense. Yeah. 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 I am sure I shall expose some of the foul meat, um, I mean, there there is a kind of return, I guess, in the last three lines of that third stanza of these I, of these first person, you know, I um, lines, right? I do not see any of it upon you today, or perhaps I'm deceived. I will run a furrow with my plow. I will press my spade through the sod and turn it up underneath. You know, if that I at first was retiring, now it seems to be back in a way and interested right. so, in yeah. Yeah, go on. sort of moving into that more active role right um mm-hmm. which then becomes in the second section more of the kind of active observation um naming cataloging that we're more familiar with um right. women's register as a whole um and right. i just want to say one thing about that is it's so interesting like again sort of almost like a parody of elegy I was saying before, but also kind of like a parody of Georgic, right? Like this, like, um, you know, the kind of virtuous um, agricultural work um, of the yeoman, right? Instead here we have this, like, I'm going to go and try to like dig up a corpse, right? Yeah. It's sort of run through with the Gothic or something like that. Yeah. 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 So it's such a strange kind of, um, uh, repurposing or um re-signifying of of these genres just all kind of condensed in that um that one stanza um okay and the last thing i want to point to um is that we also have this address which we've kind of maybe pointed to a little bit but um in in both the first and the second stanza there's a kind of direct address to the grounds right the ground you know how can you be alive, you growths of spring? How can you furnish flesh, flesh uh, health, you blood of herbs, roots, orchards, and grain, right? Um, and then where have you disposed of their carcasses, as you pointed to, right? Um, so all this kind of demand um, and, and assertiveness, um, you know, wanting an answer um, 
and then going out to, to, to try to find an answer. Um, but so that, that um, element of address is also so central to Whitman's poetry, um, this kind of direct um, speaking to uh, the other. And then it'll be interesting to track kind of what happens to that as the poem progresses, right? Well, this, this is beautiful because you, so you've anticipated my, my question or my segue here, which, you know, the, the first line of the second section of the poem, um, which, you know, in a way gives us the title again. Um, and, um, and it, and is an end stop line, though it also has a stop in its middle too. It's a sort of a doubled line in a way. Um, also kind of imply, I mean, it is an act of address, right? It, it implies, um, it does, there's no second person in it, but it's implied, behold this compost, behold it well. Um, to, to, I mean, there, 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 may, there is certainly a kind of change of um, tone or a change of um, project that the second section of the poem has, but maybe some of it is explicable by virtue of noting that there is a change of addressee. It, it, he seems no longer to be addressing the, the ground or the compost or whatever. He's addressing, I don't know, me or you, you know, yeah. the reader or yeah. something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's like something has already happened in a way between section one and section two. Like yeah. the answer has um, come clear in some way in the sense that um, there's a kind of almost, it's like an instructional um, or like pedagogical, you know, look at, look at the compost and see, see what it is. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and learn from it in some way, right. To behold it, um, in, in this sense, um, you know, behold it well, um, sort of like learn, learn what I now see. Um, you know, so in some ways it sort of shifts from this incredibly troubled inquiry of the first, mm-hmm section to something that's more, um, you know, the, the, the answers have at least that not necessarily come clear, but, um, but there's some, there's a kind of different, um, you know, there's a, yeah, that kind of didactic tone in a way. Yeah. Well, on the topic of tone, what, what does the, uh, um, how much, how much pressure do you think we could put on the word behold? Um, as opposed to say, I don't know, look at this compost or consider yeah. the compost or consider, something like that. But, yeah. but we get, we get behold three times in two lines, right? Behold this compost, behold it well. Perhaps every mite has once formed part of a sick person, yet behold. Um, so yeah. um, what kind of word is that? You know, how is it, you know, yeah. from it, you know, available synonyms or something like that? Oh, it's so, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, um, it's such an interesting word because of course it, um, you know, it's about some kind of deeper seeing in a way, I think, right. To behold, like to apprehend in some, um, kind of almost again, more metaphysical level, right. Um, to see beyond seeing, um, behold you get the sense of the kind of tactile and the and the and the vision um you know you're the, the the multiple qualities of of taking in um and um and i think you know i should just say while we're 
just to digress for a second that um, I just in my, uh, I teach a love and desire in American poetry class and uh, we just read uh, Ross Gay's Beholding, uh, such an incredible book. And, you know, the whole book is kind of thinking about the question of how to be holding um, and this sort of what does it mean to be intimate with others and hold others and to, and to look and look anew um, and yeah. to look at violence and, um, and, and, and hold it differently. Um, and so I think there's, you know, it's, it's a very different uh, project and, and sort of prospects, but also I do think there's that sense of, you know, how to, how to look differently um, you know, or how to, how to see anew. Um, yeah. That's it's funny. I, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm laughing because I, I'm writing about that book right now. And I, and, um, and I was thinking about it as we were, as we were talking about the sign. It's funny that of course you name the thing that's on my mind. Um, yeah. um, you know, well, I don't know. Ross, Ross Gay is also, you know, famously interested in compost. So I think there might be something yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. There, there might be, yeah, he might be writing back through Whitman as I think he often is and, and revising so. and putting pressure yeah. on and um, call it, calling yeah. into the gaps. Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, and I think to that sense of, you know, we've been talking about from the beginning of this poem of, um, you know, s- seeing what can't be seen, right? Seeing what is sort of invisible to immediate perception and, um, you know, and, and, and thinking about that as, um, uh, uh, as a, a kind of ecological seeing, right. Um, seeing mm. processes, um, in a way that is both empirically registered, right. That is mm. now we're going to have a list of all of these yeah. natural elements doing their thing. Um, but also, what is happening at the, some other level or scale um, that in some ways requires a kind of imaginative capacity or the ability to hold something in the mind that right. isn't quite available to immediate perception, right? That below the apple buds or, you know, it, within the apple buds is also um, human decay, right? And that that's right. a few right? That there's a sort of... Um, essential imbrication of, um, these different components. Um, he's not thinking about it in terms of, you know, the specific chemical constituents of soil, but there's something in the way that he's thinking about the kind of visible and the invisible or the empirical and the, um, you know, and the, the, maybe the metaphysical, um, that I think is, you know, is, is, is a way for him to get his mind around, um, the kind of mysteries of ecology. Um, right. And and so I think even in beholding in that term, you get some of that sense of like trying to accommodate um, different registers, different kind of epistemological registers, right? And, um, you know, that kind of go beyond what we might be able to adequately account for in our direct vision. Right. Oh, that's... That's, that's really lovely, you know, because on the one hand, if you, if you were to say to someone, well, we've, we've talked about compost as like, well, it's not just a thing, it's a process or it's a happening. It, that's not necessarily visible in a, in a moment's glance, right? Right. Um, It's operating on a somewhat slower kind of timescale than that. 
um, behold as a word seems to imply two things, which, you know, might feel a little bit like they're um, at odds with each other. Um, Margaret has just gone. You went away briefly, but then you came back. I see you again. Can can you hear me, Margaret? Um, can can you hear me now? Uh, let's see. We're we're working through a um, a technical problem here. Um, uh, she's she's having a problem. So I hope I hope we will uh, be able to restore this connection. Um, hang on. Um, but this may have, you can't hear me. I can hear you. I can, I can hear you. Um, I can hear Margaret, but she can't hear me. So, you know what? Um, we, we, well, um, it's okay. We, what we may have to do, and I will see if this works is, um, um, we may have to make this a two-part conversation. So we may um, pause here um, and um, and see if this can be salvaged. I really hope that it can. What drama has suddenly inserted itself into the podcast? Um, but we will um, we will try to stop the recording and see if if we've got something here, and if we do then what you're about to hear after it i hope maybe there's a way for me to put these two recordings together or just issue it simultaneously as as one two-part episode is the second part of the episode swiftly following after the first so i'm going to stop the recording now and hope that we have good news for you soon okay everyone and we, we are back um this is a first in uh close readings history the um many chaptered many storied annals of, of close readings history. Um, we had some kind of technical issue at the end of, um, uh, at, 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 um, just a few minutes ago, actually for us. Uh, but, and we've rejoined the call. And so I am either, and by the time this comes out, you will know, which I have done. I have either figured out how to stitch that recording together with this one, or you've clicked ahead to the next episode to get the conclusion to the conversation. But just as a reminder, I'm talking to Margaret Rhonda. We're talking about Walt Whitman's poem, This Compost. Um, if indeed this is a separate episode from the episode in which I introduced Margaret and we talked about um, the first, I don't know, 60% or so of the poem, then um, make sure you don't listen to this first. Go back and listen to, to um, the, the beginning of this episode. But Margaret, welcome back. Let's hope the, um, the technological, um, you know, fairy dust has been sprinkled over our um, Wi-Fi connection here and that we're good to go. But can you hear me now or are we? Hear you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Good. Well, no, thank you. Thanks for bearing with me. And, and thanks listeners for dealing with this little hiccup. I'm, 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 I'm revealing the fact that this is very much a, a one, one person production, this, uh, and, and the one person in question tends to be um, not the most technologically adept. So I'm sure, I'm sure this is my doing. Margaret, we were talking about the second half of this compost. We'd had a beautiful conversation about Whitman's invitation to the reader to behold the, this compost. And we were, we were um, applying some interesting pressure to that word. Um, one thing I noticed in just looking over the second 
section, numbered section of the poem is that, you know, like a, a kind of rough sort of rubric suggests itself to me that I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to complicate and say more interesting things about. But, you know, there are three stanzas of, of different length or, or three sort of verse paragraphs or, or what have you um, in that second section. Um, they each contain internal variation of a kind. And, and yet it is roughly speaking true that most, if not all of the lines in the first of those stanzas begin with the word the. So it's a, it's a catalog of the this and the that and the other thing that, that the second of those stanzas that they mostly, though not exclusively begin with the word that, you know, so, and, and it's not, I think in no case is it that as opposed to this, but it's rather, it's, it's the, um, uh, I forget the, I'm slipping my mind. It's the, um, the verbal form of, you know, um, so that in other words, you know, or, or in order that, um, and then in the final, um, of those three stanzas, the lines, not all of them, but all, but one of them begin with the word it, Um, and so, you know, is there something to, is there something meaningful in that kind of, um, observation? And we spent a lot of time thinking about how these lines begin and the first words and so forth. And, and so it's just a thing I notice at a glance. I wonder if there's a kind of embedded argument for you there. That's really interesting. Um, so I think, Wait, the first, the first of the stanzas is yeah. Let's uh, take them one at a time. Or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So all these nouns, right? Like all of these things, um, you know, these um, these entities, right? The grass of spring, the bean, the delicate spear of the onion, the apple. So, so you know, naming um, all of these particular features of um, the earth, the immediate surrounding, um, things growing, things blooming, mm-hmm. um, and so there's 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 all in in every image a sense of um, like renewal or opening, um, you know, kind of um, vitality emerging from the earth, um, and this sense of like you know newness, the calf, um, you know, the 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 this. Um, the potatoes, dark green leaves, the colt. Um, so young, young things emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we move from that sort of set of um, entities, um, those named things to this um, this kind of argument that there's chemistry involved in, in this. Um, there's a, there's a kind of, art, um, an earth art of, um, of making a process involved. Um, and, and so the, 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 that this is that the winds are not really infectious, that this is no cheat, um, that it is safe. It's like a set of propositions in a way, um, you know, that these are all the things that you can do. Um, these are all the things that you can, these are the ways that you can act, um, the things that you're able, um, to or like the ways you're able to relate to right. um, the earth, right? So in a way, it becomes a kind of um, like a catalog of of um, various forms of action and relation, right? So if the first section or the first stanza is sort of mm-hmm. here, are all of the the things, right? Here, are all of the things emerging. Um, the second stanza is, um, you know, you'll be able to 
partake, right? You can um, taste the blackberries. They're so flavorous and juicy that the cool drink from the well tastes so good, right? So none of them poison me. Um, So in a way, it kind of involves the the reader, the... um, the I and the you in, in this transaction, um, but to participate. Um, but then the last stanza, um, turns to it, right. Um, now I am terrified at the earth. It is so it is that common patient. It grows such sweet things out of such corruptions. Um, so suddenly there's this sort of distancing again, um, this sort of objectification, the sublimity of the earth, um, the 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 way in which it it outwits the imagination um that even Mm -hmm. as one's able to see and be involved and take part in partake in you know behold and partake um (laughs) in in all of these exchanges right um that that there is this kind of all-knowing entity in a way it's this kind of secular sublime right um that that is the thing that is enacting all this, right? And that is, in a way, what is um, you know it refers back to something at the beginning of the poem, yeah, right? um, and and names it, but it names it as it, right? Um, or the earth, um, this kind of entity beyond imagining or describing or beholding. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that, that is a great, um, a a great way to understand, I think the, the progression that I was, um, sort of, uh, dumbly noticing or, 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 um, or what have you. Um, I, I wonder, I love, I love the, um, that catalog of nouns in the first of those three stanzas. Maybe we can just pick out a couple of them that seem particularly suggestive to you. Um, you know, I'm thinking in a way of like, you know, maybe modernist uh, that I am or whatever of, of William Carlos Williams or something like that, uh, by the road to the contagious hospital, the spring and all, um, yeah. poem where, which is similarly, I guess, about a kind of sickness and Absolutely. spring sort of emerging. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good. So, um, you know, what, um, in this collection of nouns, like, um, are there, are, are there, particular aspects of these things that are um, that that seem once we look at them in sequence sort of stacked one on top of each other to be emerging as um, su- suggestive to Whitman or or um, and I suppose this is all kind of framed by his um, enjoining of us to behold these things so so what is it that we're meant you know to behold P- yeah. pick pick a couple of these that seem yeah. particularly interesting to you Right. Um, absolutely. So one thing to say is that this poem was initially titled Poem at the Wonder, no, Poem of Wonder at the Resurrection of the Wheat. So um, so I do think that um, the image of the wheat resurrecting um, is so interesting, right? And again, the sort of secular, um, secularizing of religious language um, is so evocative here right and all through this poem there's this sort of you know secularizing um impulse that's also about this kind of you know this 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 otherness this kind of omniscient force that can't be understood right um and so that the wheat um has this kind of um 
almost sacred um, cast to it, the resurrection of the wheat. Um, yeah. and, and humble and profound um, um, at the same time. So, I mean, that would be one line that I'd want to point to. I think, um, you know, it's it, in part all of these images and, you know, thinking about the animal images, the newborn yeah. of animals appear, the calf is dropped from the cow, the colt from the mare, um, right, coming right on the heels of these images of foul carcasses, right? Like these um, these images of these decaying bodies. So then we have these images of like pure um, um, sort of perfected um, newborn beings yeah. um, and com- coming to life, coming into life. Um, so we have that sense of um, this kind of cyclicality of the poem um, in that image kind of moving from the dead decaying um, this again, sort of macabre image of almost like digging up the grave. And then to this image of this kind of purified resurrection and renewal right. and newness um, in these images of, of new bodies. Yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's the poem sort of naturalizes it in such a way that I, I, I guess I hadn't really noticed it until you were just saying this, but you know, the stanza begins by telling us to behold the compost, but pretty quickly we're not in any kind of literal way being shown the compost. No. Uh, or no. unless this compost means something else. Yeah. 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 It almost yeah. means all of this, right? Yeah, because exactly. because we're looking compost. at animals and so on. Yeah, right. Yeah, to see the compost is to see, is to, to look at this when you're looking at these you know, blades of grass appearing in the resurrection of the wheat, you're actually looking at this thing that you can't see, which well, is that sure. But, but I guess also when you're looking at a calf being born, you're looking at compost or something, right? Exactly. Right. Right. That in the, the compost is like the, the category for all. Right. Um, right. And we've been thinking about it in terms of, you know, decay and metamorphosis um, on one end. Right. But actually he's saying you have to look at it at all points. Right. And that that is compost just as much as um, the, the disappearing and, and horribly present dead body. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. I love that. Right. Um, I, my, um, I, I was struck by the phrase, the lilacs bloom in the dooryards because it reminds me of another poem by Whitman when lilacs last in dooryard bloomed, which is an elegy for Lincoln. Right. So, um, I don't know. He liked that image. He liked that phrase. Do you have thoughts about the connection of this to that? Um, is there anything to observe there? I mean, mean, earlier you were talking about elegy as something that Whitman's resisting. So what's going on here? Yeah. I do think, you know, there are all these images that, make their way through and kind of get remade and um, meditated on anew in, in Whitman's poems. And so this is one, right. And so you see it in one poem referencing this sort of um, transfiguration and new vitality um, that is like the principle of all life. And then you see it in uh, the poem that's an elegy for Lincoln that is, kind of more specific, right? It's more connected to particular death and a particular body um, and, you know, a particular kind of condition of mourning. Um, 
And so it's, you know, it's, it's actually would be an interesting way to track some of the progressions of, of Whitman's career and his poetic thinking, um, you know, towards something like, um, you know, the, the, the way in which Lincoln comes to stand for, um, the nation and, you know, the union, um, in a way that in earlier versions of leaves of my, of of leaves of grass and song of myself, like, um, you know, there's no one representative, right. In fact, he's quite, um, quite Mm -hmm. critical of seeing any one figure, certainly governmental figure as standing for, um, the kind of the, the, the totality of, of the people. So, um, so it's yeah. kind of just thinking about the lilacs, um, coming to mean something that's much more particularly elegiac in that later poem, as opposed to, um, what it signifies now. Um, and also right. just the kind of, um, you, you know, all of these images in this catalog, they still have this kind of Gothic macabre, residue hanging out sure. on them, you know, and that's part of what's so interesting about them. Whereas that's going to be completely erased in, um, the lilacs poem, the elegy for Lincoln. Right. Right. Um, right. right. Yeah, no, good. That That's great. That's great. Which is almost like a kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to press the point too hard, but it's almost like a, poetic version of composting or something going on right or that material is getting kind of re um cycled in some way yeah it gets reworked and means different things or yeah yeah signifies differently um in different moments i love that yeah yeah what chemistry um so (laughs) Uh, that, that's how that the second stanza of of the of the second section begins. That the winds are really not infectious. I guess um, all of the that's are like implied. What chemistry that this? What chemistry that that? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so um, if the poem began with this. Um, startling recognition that the thing that had been taken to be familiar and safe and so on was in fact full of death and disease and was perhaps therefore threatening. And then we start to look at what's happening here. We're getting, um, a uh, the, the resolution of a principle that would explain that. Yeah. Uh, or something. I think that's right, right? So it's like mm-hmm. transmuted through poetic image and figuration, right? So sort of cleansed in a way through this act of naming, right? I think that's, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that itself is a kind of, you know, the, the action of the poem is is to um, also to kind of produce the effect that it's describing, right. Um, that that through the process of kind of moving through this new awareness, it itself is a kind of metamorphosis, right. Um, it's like a metamorphosis and awareness, a kind of chemistry of, um, in language that then allows one to, you know, partake again, right. To experience, um, yeah. Same features, right. Um, to, 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 drink and eat and, you know, walk upon the earth, um, 
but with with a sense that um, somehow all the time mysteriously these these exchanges are happening or this you know this kind of transformations are um, uh, are kind of invisibly at work. Um, so mm-hmm. you kind of hold that in the mind and the poem facilitates that kind of internal metamorphosis or awakening. Um, yeah. Even as, as, as we that. Yeah. Yeah. As we, as we pluck out some of these lines, I mean, just in isolation, they feel really to have some of the kind of innocence that we were, finding in more typically in Whitman and less so in this poem, but it seems to have returned in a line like that all is clean forever and forever, yeah. or um, that the, uh, that the blackberries are so flavorous and juicy um, <laughs> that when I recline on the, on the grass, I do not catch any disease. Right. In, in, in lines like this, there is a, it, it's almost like a return to Eden or something or. Yes. That's yeah. right. Um, and, and in a way, like this sense um, of being like being held, being, being protected, um, you know, that there, that, that I, that I'm, I am indeed safe in this, um, on this earth or in this, you know, in this particular landscape or eating the food that I eat, um, that, that, that I'm, I am indeed healthy. Right. Um, but the poem has to kind of travel the distance right. in order to, to move back into that consciousness of um, like w- what it means to, to see the earth as a place of sustenance, right. right. Um, as opposed to this more threatening um, surround, which of course I think, you know, in that, in that part of the poem, we connect as contemporary readers with, this, you know, this awareness of ever present risk, um, yeah. of harm, right. Um, you know, what is in the water, what is in the, um, what is in what we're eating and, uh, right. So in some ways he, this, the poem as it is here sort of ultimately moves through that toward a, a certain kind of resolution, but, um, but right. still that sort of question remains. And I think to read it now is to, to, mm-hmm think about those questions about um, risk and health and fragility and, you know, different forms of toxicity that we're all kind of navigating all the time. And Whitman's thinking about those questions, like in his own language and his own framework, um, Mm -hmm. what he had available to him, but, um, but that's coming through and worked through this poem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of, um, what's so interestingly emerging for me here is that there's a kind of analog in the poem to the thing, you know, in our experience of the poem, that's like an analog of his experience of the world. Right. So it's as though we, we get, you know, like he thinks, Oh, I can eat the blackberries after all they're, they're juicy and safe or whatever. And we think maybe, well, the the poem, this poem is really upsetting and gross and whatever, but now we're, now it's nice again, you know, and it's as the, uh, right. And, and in both cases, like the mystery is how did the, how did I recognize and take full stock of all the death and disease and so on? Yeah. And, and now I've got a blackberry to eat, you know, right. What do I, what do I do with that? And I, I guess it would be a different poem entirely if it ended 
um, with the lines that when I recline on the grass, I do not catch any disease that probably every spear of grass rises out of what was once a catching disease. But that moment or something, I, I suppose gives way immediately to a different kind of, um, movement and mood in that third and final stanza of the second section of the poem. So Margaret, I want to invite you to, to discuss what it is that prompts the terror that Whitman seems to feel at the beginning of that stanza. Now I am terrified at the earth. Um, it is that calm and patient. It grows sweet things out of such corruptions and, and in those lines, right? So what is, what is, you know, in, in your understanding, prompting that terror for Whitman? Yeah. Um, I love that question. And I just want to say one thing about the last, um, the last piece of, of your comment, which is that I think that this, and this, this shift to this last stanza, um, is kind of, you know, is, is the result of what is a kind of, um, a desire to repress, right. A desire like not to know, or a desire to, to, um, to move back into some condition of, of comfort. Um, and this is a familiar mode of thinking for all of us uh, all the time. What do we repress? What do we not look at, um, at different scales, you know, different, different moments, right. About, um, our ecological surround. Right. Um, so, and I think the poem, right. The poem would have been different if it ended with, that line that you quoted, um, because it w- the, the repression would have been kind of achieved, right? Um, or there would have been this sort of this 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 turn back toward um, comfort and safety and um, and and kind of an innocence, we could say. Uh, but the poem doesn't end there, right? Instead, it, it confronts um, something that is. Um, terrifying, right? Which is that we don't know, we don't understand. Um, it's it, it is it is a mystery to us, and whatever language or framing we have at our disposal to understand um, these workings, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't solve the mystery. It doesn't resolve um, that kind of fundamental terror, um, and it's a terror in part of. The inevitability of death, right, um, mm-hmm. or, of our mortality, um, but also of this kind of larger set of exchanges and transformations that are happening all the time, right? That um, that the earth can somehow absorb um, mm. death and grow things anew. This is something um, you know, kind of monstrous and terrifying about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. That we, you know, that, that we we simply cannot internalize. Um, I think that it's like this confrontation with the limit of our imagination. Um, and, and Mm. I, I love that ending because I think it's so, um, you know, refuses to humanize or domesticate or, um, or again, repress, um, this sort of harder, um, you know, truths or limits we could say, um, Mm -hmm. We get a return of the repressed. We get a return uh, of the repressed. And, right. and yeah, so it's all well and good to say, well, the blackberry tastes good. And it does, right? It's juicy and it tastes good and it doesn't make us sick. But somehow it seems as though the poem can't unknow the knowledge that it has about what it is that made the thing that is juicy in your mouth the, the delicious way that it is. And that's 
um, an incommensurate kind of, not, it's unassimilable or something. Unassimilable. Uh, That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I think that that, um, that is formally um, featured in the fact that there isn't a return to the address to the earth, uh-huh. right? That, that's, that's happening in the beginning of the poem. But by the end, the earth is it, right? The earth is cannot be spoken to and responded to. You know, there's not that kind of right. intimate transaction, right? It, it is working on its own terms. Um, so there isn't that sense of colloquy that's so essential to kind of how we think of Whitman, um, this sort of right. all-absorbing, um, all-knowing eye, right? Um, but actually he says... I don't get it, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> or, or the, yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. No, that's what I was going to say. So I was just going to add, or the other kind of Whitman that, you know, we might think of the Whitman at the end of um, Song of Myself, you know, says, look for me under my boot, under your boot soles and so on. Um, the the Whitman who's um, addressing you, the reader, who, you know, was, was also doing that. That's not here at the end either. It's this it, this kind of, um, this thing that can't be known that is fundamentally alien though you know i guess i want us to say i want you to say something about the very last line of the poem it it gives such divine materials to men and accepts such leavings from them at last you know clearly that word leavings is super interesting for Whitman, you know, it's calling to mind, of course, leaves of grass. Um, but leavings here, I think has some other meanings or, or draws out some of the meanings that were perhaps inherent in leaves of grass to begin with, but makes, brings them to the surface. So what, what, what do you see in that last line, Margaret? Yes. Right. So, um, that there's that exactly that, that, um, re, calibration of or recycling or composting of leaves right as leavings um so um almost as like the you know the the the, the second order um the, the thing that's made um by humans right or the thing that we do with the divine materials that we're given um is sort of it's 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 the leavings it's the sort of the um mm. the the, the cast off in a way or the, the, the diminished thing. Um, and the earth accepts that, right. Or the leavings, of course, also the, you know, it's, the, it's all the kinds of remnants or, or mm-hmm. residues or the, the things, you know, the, 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 the body itself, the corporeal yes. thing, right. It's all of right. that um, kind of after life has, um, has escaped, right. It has moved on Last. to, yeah. <laughs> Has left so, the body. Exactly. Yeah, so so the sort of um, interesting alignment here of um, the aesthetic artifact of leaves yeah. of grass, right, with um, the kind of the um, the corporeal frame diminished, um, you know, the, the things that are left over. Um, at the same time, I think you know and that that is an interesting, um, almost melancholy ending. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the same time, I would say, you know, just in line with something that you pointed us to earlier about the, you know, the compost is also the calves being born and the, you know, the, the yeah. partly the, the kind of imaginative um, imperative of this poem is to say, look and see the thing that you think is not um, in, in the thing in front of you, right? So see mm-hmm. the death 
see the dead body in the newborn calf, right? See, um, see in the diminished thing, right? Um, in the cast off, um, see the kind of vitality of all things, right? See the divine materials in the thing. So I think it's, that's the project of the poem is to try to get us as readers to um, sort of hold these contradictions uh, or seeming contradictions in our mind as not contradictory at all. Yeah. Also, maybe it is. Um, now I'm going to contradict myself and very well. I, I am large. Um, I contain multitudes. Uh, the, um, maybe that, maybe the ending of the poem is a bit like, um, look for me under your, uh, under your boot soles. Right. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. That it that that in fact, you know, that the, the 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 most profound poem um mm-hmm. you know is is this compost, right? Is this um is this this kind of leaving, right? Is is, right. is what seems to be um the, the strange poem or the poem that has to look um right. at the ugly thing, right? Not just at the beauty, not just at the energy and the vitality and the um you know the freshness of of things, right? But also at um at the corpses and the foul air and 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 that is um you know and in some ways that's what you can pass on to yeah. the reader, right? This 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 is the leaving. Um right. Right. For the next cycle just to start again, right? Right. Right, right. It r- reminds me too, though. I, I, I suspect this would t- take us too long to fully take up. But the um, the word leavings is reminding me, um, as we're talking about it, of your word remainders. Um, um, doing a similar kind of work, uh, melancholic, but but also kind of forward looking, um, kind of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. M- Margaret, I don't want to push our luck much further technologically. I feel like we've gotten to the end of the poem. That's terrific. And maybe we can just cross our fingers now and I can invite you to read the poem one more time and then we'll, um, and then we'll call it a day. How does that sound? That sounds beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for having me again. Mm. All right. This compost one, something startles me where I thought I was safest. I withdraw from the still woods. I love I will not go now to the pastures to walk. I will not strip the clothes from my body to meet my lover, the sea. I will not touch my flesh to the earth as to other flesh to renew me. Oh, how can it be that the ground itself does not sicken? How can you be alive, you growths of spring? How can you furnish health, you blood of herbs, roots, orchards, grain? Are they not continually putting distempered corpses within you? Is not every continent worked over and over with sour dead? Where have you disposed of their carcasses, those drunkards and gluttons of so many generations? Where have you drawn off all the foul liquid and meat? I do not see any of it upon you today, or perhaps I am deceived. I will run a furrow with my plow. I will press my blade through the sod and turn it up underneath. I am sure I shall expose some of the foul meat." Two, behold this compost, behold it well. Perhaps every mite has once formed part of a sick person, yet behold, the grass of spring covers the prairies. The bean bursts noiselessly through the mold in the garden. The delicate spear of the onion pierces upward. The apple buds cluster together on the apple branches. 
the resurrection of the wheat appears with pale visage out of its graves. The tinge awakes over the willow tree and the mulberry tree. The he birds carol mornings and evenings while the she birds sit on their nests. The young of poultry break through the hatched eggs. The newborn of animals appear. The calf is dropped from the cow, the colt from the mare. All out of its little hill faithfully rise the potatoes' dark green leaves. Out of its hill rises the yellow maize stalk, the lilacs bloom in the dooryards. The summer growth is innocent and disdainful above all those strata of sour dead. What chemistry that the wind, that the winds are not really contagious. What chemistry that the winds are really not infectious, that this is no cheat, this transparent green wash of the sea, which is so amorous after me, that it is safe to allow it to lick my naked body all over with its tongues that it will not endanger me with the fevers that have deposited themselves in it, that all is clean forever and forever, that the cool drink from the well tastes so good, that blackberries are so flavorous and juicy, that the fruits of the apple orchard and the orange orchard, that melons, grapes, peaches, plums, will none of them poison me, that when I recline on the grass, I do not catch any disease, though probably every spear of grass rises out of what was once a catching disease. Now I am terrified at the earth. It is that calm and patient. It grows such sweet things out of such corruptions. It turns harmless and stainless on its axis with such endless successions of diseased corpses. It distills such exquisite winds out of such infused fetter it renews with such unwitting looks its prodigal, annual, sumptuous crops. It gives such divine materials to men and accepts such leavings from them at last. Well, Margaret, Rhonda, um, thank you so much for this conversation about this compost. Um, I learned so much from you and I had such a great time um, and I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Cameron. It's such a pleasure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, pleasure all mine. And um, listeners, I hope I hope we're able to make something, you know, I feel like there's a, an allegory here of uh, the poem itself, where we're going to make a crop out of the out of the compost of the, of the technological mishap um, and present it to you. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and we'll keep listening to the podcast and share it with friends and so on. Um, but until then, uh, be well, everyone. <laughs>